Hey everyone, and happy Saturday. This is Paul, host of Pod Rocket, here to bring you one of my favorite episodes of Pod Rocket that you might have missed. Zero Dependency CLIs with Node.js and Ian Sutherland. I like to come back to this pod in particular because sometimes we get so wrapped up in the website or React side of JavaScript that we forget the workhorse that we have at our fingertips and what's truly possible. So here it is. Zero dependency CLIs with Node.js and in Sutherland. If you're used to working in the terminal and with CLIs, you probably know, you know, all the kind of standard utilities that come with Linux or Unix. They they all follow a very similar set of conventions, and that that makes it so that you can kind of connect them all together very easily. And so you should definitely try to also follow those conventions as much as you can when you're building your own stuff. Try and stick with that. Don't reinvent the wheel. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we have Ian Sutherland with us. He is a Node.js core contributor, as well as an architect and developer experience lead over at Neo Financial. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to come on. So you recently gave a talk about Node.js and zero dependency CLIs, which is a very niche but very powerful like topic. It feels to me at least because CLIs are everywhere, but at the same time, how many people actually get in the weeds with it? So hopefully we can learn a little bit about how you think about CLIs and the direction that we're kind of moving in as a developer body and you know the exposure we're going to have to new tools as we develop CLIs in the future. Yeah, it is, it is a little niche, although, as I mentioned in my talk, um, some of these same principles apply in other types of applications, too, um, like, like lambdas or serverless functions, uh, shell scripts, you know, auto, uh, build tooling, things like that. So it's a, a little applies a little bit more broadly than just CLIs. It's like CLIs is a good lens to look at, look at this through because the whole zero, develop, zero dependency development ethos has, it's continually expanding as we grow more and more. Unless you're developing in Dino, right? Because you got a whole thing, whole ecosystem wrapped up into their standard library over there, which is a little bit of a different conversation. But uh, yeah, they do. I mean, Dino does have a little bit of a larger standard library than Node, um, for sure. And uh, you know, that's that's something that uh, we've looked at for inspiration as well. I think it's it's nice to have other uh, uh, other tools like that in the in the market. Uh, we kind of push each other forward a little bit. I mean, now we're pushing forward in the node. So you are a CLI developer. Would you say that is like, you're in, you're not that now, but is that kind of an area you stepped into very deeply? You really got into CLI, you thought they were fun to make? Yeah, I would say that's true. Um, yeah, they, I don't know, they are. I'm not sure why. I, I really enjoy uh, using a lot of CLI apps in my, my day-to-day kind of workflow. And uh, yeah, I got into kind of building them, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. And uh, I don't know, I find it really, really interesting. It's a really, the terminal is like a really interesting kind of constrained environment. Um, and so you have to get creative when you're when you're working in there. What's an example of something that you found to be a widely constraining quality that you wouldn't anticipate before you got into the space? Well, I mean, it's it, anything that you, you're kind of used to from, from like web development, like, I mean, from being able to display an image um, to, to being able to do really any kind of layout, um, you know, that, that all kind of disappears in the terminal, um, at least for simple applications. It's, you're kind of forced into this 
you know, line by line sort of output, um, very limited color palette and uh, uh, character sets and things like that. So you're you're a color terminal person. You like to put colors in to your apps. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, you gotta. Yeah. It's it's 2022. I mean, you gotta move beyond the 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 black background and the green text. Yeah, I'm sure you're upsetting some purists, but uh, you know, we all love colors. Yeah, I, I probably am. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, have you mostly been in the node space with building CLIs? Because I know, like, Rust is the CLI like thing out there. You know, people hail Rust for the CLI. So, where have you been around the block on? Yeah, it's uh, for me. It's primarily been Node. Um, I actually did start learning Rust this year for that very reason, just to for making CLIs. Um, and actually, there's some interesting stuff happening in Go as well recently. Um, some really interesting libraries. Um, I think one of them is called Charm, uh, or it's like a set of libraries um, for building really rich interactive CLIs. So now I might have to pick up Go again as well. Uh, but yeah, the bulk of my experience has been uh, building building CLIs with Node.js. That's what I work in every day, anyways. Uh, you know, building microservices in, in Node and TypeScript and uh, uh, front end apps with React. Um, so I'm JavaScript is is kind of where I feel at home. So it's kind of a natural fit. Is developing a CLI in Node does that present some special challenges that you might not find in a typical compiled language like Rust? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and that's actually kind of where the dependencies thing comes in. Uh, if, you're, if you're building a CLI with Node and you have dependencies, you either need the users of your CLI to also install those dependencies, or you need to bundle all of your code up using something like Webpack. Uh, and generally, that results in a much larger... Uh, kind of not binary, but but uh, artifact that you're releasing uh, than if you used a compiled language like Rust or Go. So yeah, there are definitely some challenges. So is that do you generally want to use a zero dependency project or design philosophy if you're building a CLI? Is that something we should all strive for? I I, I mean I want to. I don't think it's realistic today. Um, I would say the goal at this point is maybe just to minimize the number of dependencies you have to pull in, uh, but it's it's pretty tricky to to truly build something uh, with zero dependencies, at least at this point. So why is this something that you recommend and something we want to work towards, specifically relating to the CLI phenotype here? Yeah, I mean, again, just just for the reasons that I kind of mentioned earlier, like it it, it just makes uh, sharing and distributing. Um, a CLI app a lot easier if it doesn't have a set of dependencies that need to be installed, or if you can eliminate that that build step um, as part of uh, as part of releasing your CLI. Um, another thing too is uh, if your CLI has a lot of dependencies that you ship with it, uh, it's gonna your program is gonna be s- slower to start, um, and that's that's kind of a big deal with a CLI. Like if you if you type a quick command and you're expecting you know, a pretty instantaneous response, but there's say a 500 millisecond delay every time you run a command while it's parsing all of your dependencies. That makes for not a very good developer experience. That it's it's one of those things like if you don't have your Docker image cached right, and every time you rebuild it, it needs to yarn install. And I just want to like bury my face in in, in being impatient. Um, yeah, it's a little. It sounds small, like 500 milliseconds, but yeah, if you're if you're trying to you know, 
hammer out a dozen commands in a CLI, that that'll start to irritate you really fast. Those little things you don't think about. Yeah, if I'm running a command, in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's bare metal, even though it's never bare metal. But I'm like, oh, bare metal. She goes so fast. Um, really good, really good call out there. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. So when the new Node versions that are coming out now, right, 18 come just came out recently, does this give us new abilities to reach this goal of like, we want as little dependencies as possible, and maybe what are some of those for people that are interested? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Node 18 is definitely um, a big step. Um, specifically, when I, when I wrote that talk, I was looking at Node 18.3, um, because some new stuff shipped specifically in that version. Um, I think they're well past that now. So so just, you know, if you pull down the, the latest version of Node 18, it'll definitely have all of this stuff. Um, one of the big things that shipped, I guess I guess I should start with the thing that shipped in Node 18.3, um, which was the built-in argument parser. Um, so that's, I guess, for people that don't know, um, you know, you, you type your command on the command line and you probably pass it some some flags like a double dash, silent or dash l or or whatever or maybe a file name um those are those are all the arguments to your program and uh you know previously in node you would basically just get an array where anytime there was a space in in the command it would just put those all into different array elements and that's all you got and it was up to you to figure out uh what to do with that and uh as i kind of mentioned in my talk it, there's a there's a ton of variations of arguments you can pass to a CLI. Um, and actually making sense of that array of things is can be pretty tricky. Uh, so that's where an argument parser comes in. And a lot of other languages have... Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, a lot of other languages have uh, built-in argument parsers. And, and up until now, Node didn't. And so that's, that's what we introduced in uh, 18.3. So that's in the standard library right now. You just get it out of the box. Yep, that's right. Awesome. It's called uh, it's called Parsargs, and it's in the util library. And we as developers have some sort of a mental model in our heads about how to parse an argument. It's like, okay, dash flag, it's it's a toggle in something. You do dash dash thing equals. That's like a KV arg. So, like, we have a model, but yeah, making sense of that that in interoperability layer in between changes language to language. It changes shop to shop. Yeah, exactly. And there are there are subtle variations of of uh, you know, what features different argument parsers support. And so we tried um, with with parsargs for Node, we, we tried to keep the API small um, and focus on sort of the most common subset of those features. So it's still not going to do absolutely everything that you might want from an argument parser. Um, and so that's where you might still reach for one of those dependencies um, that exists on NPM. But we wanted it to cover like the 80% use case. Right. So if you're writing any old app and you just need to be able to pass a variety of flags in one or two different formats, you got yourself covered with this probably. Exactly. Okay. I mean, our parsing has always been the bane of like scripting existence. As you said, you put it, you put into an array and then depending, especially when you just start getting into doing sub cell, excuse me, sub shell outputs as inputs into the argv, And then, uh, yeah, so this is exciting to check out. So you can go download node 18. We can go boot this up right now. 
is this something that you've been are including right now in your current projects or is there any standing work out there that people you would point people to to look for inspiration uh, I'm definitely starting to use it in some in some scripts. I think it's a pretty common use case too. Is uh, you know maybe you write a, a shell script, um, and then you know you go to add another feature to it at some point in time, or you want to be able to toggle something like oh it can work in this way or that way, and you want to add just like one argument. Um, and this is a very easy way uh, without having to pull in a new dependency. You can just uh, use the, use our, use parse args. And uh, and add that one argument, and then maybe maybe build up from there over time. So yeah, I definitely uh, I find myself in those situations a lot where yeah I've got a simple script where I just I just want to accept one or two arguments, and so I'm definitely using it um, in those kinds of situations already. Gotcha. Let's before we switch off of the new Node 18 stuff, maybe let's pull out one other exciting li- uh, standard library. Yet something that's now in the standard library (laughs) that uh, wasn't there before that you're excited about that you think can empower developers? I mean, I think the other really exciting feature that shipped in Node 18 is Fetch. Um, So Fetch is a a web API um, for for making a request to another URL. Um, And that was sort of notably absent from Node for quite a long time. Uh, The the built-in... Uh, HTTP library is not great for just doing something like making a simple, you know, hitting an, hitting an API endpoint. Um, I, I talked about this a little bit in my talk. Um, I, I made a, a shell script that that does this. It hits the GitHub API, and uh, using like the built-in HTTP library, I think I ended up with around thirty plus lines of code, um, and that didn't even, I, I think, cover all of the the sort of edge cases. Like it's a it's an event-driven API, and uh, I, I there were definitely some events that I was not handling at all in that implementation. Um, and then I showed the same uh, the same functionality using fetch, and it's less than ten lines of code, and that includes all the error handling and everything. Um, the actual fetch part is really just two lines, so that's a that's a big improvement, I think, uh, for developers. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It really has, yeah. <laughs> and now we have it, so that's that's great. I, I mean, I, I would always have to read. My go-to would be just Axios, and then yeah, it's a dependency. <laughs> it's something else I need to include. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. Well, moving on past Node 18, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about how you design CLIs, if that's all right. Like, Is there an anti-pattern or something that you see in CLIs that gets perpetrated that you think 
really shouldn't be, something that hurts <laughs> the way you think CLI should run. And off of that, are any of those you know easier problems to solve if you use Node as your CLI language? Uh, I would say, I mean, a, a couple things that come to mind would just be, you know, not following conventions. Like if you're used to working in the terminal and with CLIs, you probably know, you know, all the all the kind of standard utilities that come with Linux um, or Unix. They they all follow a very similar set of conventions, and that that makes it so that you can kind of connect them all together very easily. Um, and so you should definitely try to also follow those conventions as much as you can when you're building your own stuff. Um, you know, we talked earlier about uh, kind of the some of the standard ways that you are maybe used to passing arguments to a CLI. Try and stick with that. Don't don't reinvent the wheel. Don't do something different. Um, and so definitely that's somewhere where you know using a library like ParseArgs or whatever it is that that uh, is included with your language uh, will help you stick to those conventions. So that, that's definitely one, um, yeah, rule that I, I would try to, to stick to. Um, and then some other other things that I see uh, people doing. I mean, you should treat the the interface and the output of your CLI uh, kind of the same way you would treat maybe like a web application. Uh, you should try and have things like consistent uh, headings and, and and text, like whether that's whether that's uh, font sizes or colors or whatever, um, try to try to stick to consistent patterns that make the output easy to read and understand. Um, and then another one that goes along with that is also have a, a mode that doesn't do any of that fancy stuff um, and just outputs kind of the raw text because that's probably what you want if you're going to be piping the output of that command into another um, command line utility. Yeah, thinking up that line of like, well, when you're designing, you should really think about any output. You should have a flag where you can output raw text. Like these sort of like modular object objectifying sort of like design decisions are really interesting. Um, is there some sort of way you wrap up a required help argument into your CLIs, like as a wrapper or like a subclass, like, oh, this is an argument, it's a subclass of this, or you use the the arg parser to implement help somehow, like, do you force that upon every command? I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good question. So uh, someone else asked me this on Twitter after my talk too. So the, uh, the parse args uh, command built into Node right now uh, doesn't do anything in terms of, of help. Um, that's something I'm not, I'm not sure if we're, if we're going to add that or not. Um, you could certainly take the options argument that you pass into parse args and use that to generate uh, a help output. Um, that would be probably a great NPM library if no one's built that already. Um, and then if you're, there's some more like full featured um, argument parsers like yargs or commander um, are two of the popular ones on NPM. Um, and they definitely do that for you. Uh, so, you know, if that, for example, if that's something that's really important to you or some of their other features, um, then you may want to consider still sticking with them. Uh, but I, I mean, I definitely recommend you should uh, dash H or double dash help should always, always, always work um, in every CLI. Right. Yeah. Implementing that standard interface. I just, you know, thinking about REST 
there's so many packages out there that won't even let me like compile, transpile my thing if I don't have the right the right endpoints, the right documentation in there. And wonder if any similar guardrails you make, even just for yourself privately when you're developing. I mean, up, one of those is testing. I, I you must test everything <laughs> extensively before you release it. What are some of the strategies you use to make sure you're testing your CLI or tools you use to do that? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. Um, I we, you know, at, at least at work when uh, with any of the CLIs that we build, we focus more on uh, testing the functionality of each command. So a particular command might, you know, call some library methods that. Uh, do something with the file system or make web requests or something like that. So we, we generally focus more on testing that functionality versus uh, passing different kinds of arguments and things like that to the program. So yeah, just making sure it's almost like unit testing the called submodules that the CLI, because you're making the assumption that the CLI is going to route the commands correctly. It's more like right. let's unit test the end targets. Okay, gotcha. Right, exactly. And do you just use typical plug-and-play like JavaScript testing frameworks for that type of stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, at, at Neo, we, we mostly use Jest. Um, so that's we use, we use that for testing um, our CLI apps as well. Um, there is, I mean, this seems like a good segue, there is a new test runner also built into, uh, into Node 18. Uh, so that, that would be a good starting point if you're building just a simple shell script or, or CLI. Okay, so we're, we have uh, extensive testing, <laughs> now part of the standard library as well, and fetch. And we got an R parser. So what do you see coming maybe next year or the year after that for what you're hoping to see? Like you mentioned briefly, maybe help if somebody wants to start tackling that. A required help message right, for your arguments. What are, what are some other exciting areas that you're hoping to see? push into the space, either through the, the lens we're talking about now through CLIs or anything really. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of included a section on this at the end of my talk, which uh, I referred to as the wild speculation edition, uh, because this is not really based on anything. I, I don't speak for Node. I don't, I, you know, I don't know um, what's going to be happening in the project over the next year or two. Um, so I kind of included a couple things that I personally would really like to see uh, in Node.js. And, you know, I'll, I might do what I can as part of uh, the tooling group um, to try and push those things forward. But, yeah, I, I really can't say for sure if any of this stuff is going to happen. But, all right, I'll give you my... <laughs> here's my... This is not financial advice. So... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think a couple things that I mentioned that, that could be interesting. Um, one would be support for Glob. Um, and so that's how you can, uh, it's probably, probably familiar to, to, you know, terminal users. That's how you can, uh, specify those like star and star star kind of patterns that will match, um, you know, uh, any number of files or directories or nested directories. Um, so I'd, I'd love to see support for that, uh, coming to node. We, we've added a bunch of, uh, like recursive file system operations recently, um, to like delete and copy files and, and glob just goes really nicely um, with those kinds of APIs. So that that's kind of a, a smallish one uh, that I'm hopeful we can we can get in. Um, and then you know things a little bit a little bit crazier. Um, you know I'd love to see we talked about Dino earlier and uh, you know how how we're kind of taking some inspiration from them. Um, 
there Dino has a, I think they call it Dino compile. Um, and it'll, that'll actually compile your JavaScript code and Dino itself into a binary. Um, cause that is one issue with, with shipping, uh, node CLIs is you're kind of relying on the user having a compatible version of node. Installed. Yeah. The right version. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, I mean, that's the other tricky thing is if you, if you start using some of these new features that are only available in node 18 and they happen to have like node 16 installed or something, it's, it's not going to work. Um, so yeah, I would, uh, the idea there is, yeah, you're bundling up like the runtime and the code into a single uh, binary that you can distribute. Um, and that's something we've been talking about for a long time uh, as, you know, something we want in Node. And there are a couple third-party projects that will do this for you uh, for Node, but I, w- I would love to see that built in as kind of a first-party thing. And then uh, the last thing that I would really love to see, and there has actually been a little bit of discussion about this, um, is first-party support for TypeScript in Node. I think that would be that would be huge. Um, you know, Node already supports with ESM uh, custom loaders, and there is a loader called TS Node um, that exists already. And so, you know, maybe if you try and execute a TS file, maybe we just automatically use that loader, and everything just works. Behind the scenes, you just don't know that it's using the loader. Right. Exactly. <laughs> node magic. There's a lot of node magic. Uh, yeah, there is. <laughs> um, well. If somebody wanted to go create a CLI today, if they've never done it before, um, or maybe haven't stepped into the world of no dependency development, mm-hmm. what would you say is like, uh, well, let's start with a resource. Like, what's a really good resource that you might want to turn people to? It could be like something you wrote that you made as a tutorial with a bunch of comments, something you saw on YouTube that was really helpful. That is a good question. <laughs> um I'm really putting you on the spot here, so it's okay if you don't got one. We could point you. Do you have a GitHub with both public projects? Because I'm sure you have CLIs there that people can go look at. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say first of all, definitely watch my talk from Cascadia JS when it's available. Um, yeah, we can link that below in the video. Yeah, and then uh, I, I have. I actually started working on a, a kind of a test project for some of these um, Node CLI features. Um, I started making a package manager. I was trying to think of something that would. Uh, kind of take advantage of of all of these different features, the argument parsing, fetch, file system manipulation. And uh, I landed on a package manager. Um, but I wanted to really emphasize the fact that no one should actually use this package manager as a package manager. Um, so that's called the bad package manager. <laughs> um, so you can find that on my GitHub. And that's that's a little bit of a starting point. I haven't done as much as I'd, I uh, had wanted to with it. It's kind of a, a slow project I'm slowly working on. Um, but that could be a good starting point. Um, also I can maybe include a link. Someone after my talk actually put together a little example of using, uh, Parsargs, uh, and shared that with me on Twitter. So we can maybe link to that example as well. Um, great. I mean, I mean, th- this is that, that's plenty. So bad package manager, uh, Ian's working on that slowly, but surely right now don't use it as a package manager, but it's, a please great- don't. <laughs> In the name, but it's a good starting. It's a good starting point. So I'm sure if you Google that and then the word GitHub, you'll be able to find that um, on the interweb. Yeah, and it's it's on my GitHub, which is just Iansu uh, uh, I A N S U. Awesome. And then uh, we'll try to include a link to this uh, parse args example that that you just talked about. Um, and then yeah, if if 
there's any words of like wisdom that you would give people getting into just in general, no dependency development. Uh, what it, what's kind of like the hardest like mental shift that you had to go through stepping into the space? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's definitely going to be difficult. Like I kind of said at the beginning, I, I, I actually don't think it's realistic to, uh, to build, you know, any significant projects with no dependencies at this point in time. But what I would say is we are constantly adding new stuff to Node. Um, so don't just assume that you need to reach for that third-party dependency. Um, take, a, take a quick look at the docs and see if, uh, if what you're trying to do is, is built in. Awesome. And one last thing, and if people want to follow you, are you on a social or Medium or Twitter? Uh, yeah, you can definitely find me on Twitter uh, at Ian Su, I-A-N-S-U, same as my GitHub username. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Ian. And yeah, hopefully some people are inspired to maybe step outside of the typical compiled CLI libraries that I see popping up all over this, the place and take advantage of these really awesome new node features that we've been waiting for for a long time. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, we all hope. All right. Thank you, Ian. This is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.